makes sense when you're hitting someone with a cow. With a cow, yeah. <laughs> or their dead friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you're hitting a minotaur with a minotaur. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Ceremony Chamber in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 136 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about fights with bosses, but not boss fights, as we discuss fealty. But first the rogue traders assault an ancient fortress in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the beast of burden hefts a heifer in the character creation forge. So I got to start off this episode with an apology because I was very late in getting the editing done on episode 135 last week. So if that impacted your work week, not being able to hear our dulcet tones, I apologize. Yeah, Shane, um, you know, I only say this because we're not friends, but definitely not friends. You ruined our perfect record. You know, for nearly three years every single thursday we have not missed one thursday that's true until this past week uh we made it through every thanksgiving two two weddings two weddings two honeymoons <laughs> christmases <laughs> but this time i guess your job was more important to you than our dear listeners and i don't know if that's forgivable well that's one way of looking at it <laughs> it was certainly more draining on me than our dear listeners <laughs> You know, this is an opportunity, friends, because if you don't want Shane to have to bust his ass every other week to edit this podcast because he has to go to his job all the time, if you give enough money to Patreon... Yeah, yeah we'll take a million-dollar Kickstarter, please. <laughs> if you're just hiding him out. He could spend all his time editing. Well, half his time. I'll do it the other half of the time. I'll do it for half the price. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> Perfect. Uh, you know, it's it's because you're a Republican that you didn't ask for help. I, of course, being a socialist, would have said, uh, let's all do this together because I'm busy. You would have crowdsourced it to our listeners. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You would have charged them for it. Well, <laughs> I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> All right, we should also apologize for our voices. Uh, last night, uh, we all went out for Jim's birthday. One of uh, our gaming group uh, members played Calic, also Draco. And then we played some Bang Dice. And then we almost got to Secret Hitler, but then it was too late and too much uh, whiskey. Yeah. At the point where I was drinking bourbon out of the bottle, it was probably time to go home. But instead, we kept playing Bang Dice. Yeah, even though we knew we were recording in the morning. So you're welcome, I suppose. Indeed. All right. So speaking of making bad decisions, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Traders of the His Enduring Light, along with a couple hundred of their finest armsmen, are on the Dead World Malajact, marching through the desert in service of the Inquisition. And for days, they have overcome invasive dust, unreliable Vox communications, edgy nerves, uh, failures at basic land navigation, uh, and now their scouts are reporting that they have reached their target, the secret location of Lord Cipher's ancient fortress, the Verzer House. 
It's obsidian black, it's built into the side of a mountain, and it is overlooking a valley killing field. Yeah, that's the first thing we noticed, that the approach to it is very open and exposed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that uh, anyone who was actually in this building would have great shots at all of us. Indeed. (laughs) So we send in the armsmen first. Yeah, the scouts. (laughs) That's your job to get first death. (laughs) So they advance through the gatehouse, they secure the area, and then begin exploring. But we lose Vox contact with them once they're inside. So after a while, we decide that they're probably not coming out because they're probably all dead. Uh, so we advance en masse. Yeah, you assault the Verzer house, as it were. Except that in an assault, usually there's some sort of resistance. Yeah, usually you get shot back at. <laughs> fortunately, for some reason, that didn't happen. In fact, there wasn't any resistance. Nothing happened. No, you breached the gate uh, quickly, efficiently. You might say that you captured the Verzer house without having to fire a shot. The first the first of a crowning achievement of victories on this world. Yeah, we even accidentally kill one of our own. In- indeed. <laughs> Not a single casualty even. <laughs> That's a first. So when you, when you did get into the fortress, uh, what did you find? Well, apparently it had been deserted for years because there's a thin layer of dust that's covering everything. And the only prints that we're seeing were from our scouts. Uh, Rugs still are lining the stone floors. There are tapestries on the walls. It's decorated actually like a really nice house. Yeah, when you when you do find sort of the main hall, you find it's it's a large banquet table. It's it's plush upholstered, you know, comfortable seating. It's it seems like a manor house on the inside even though it's clearly a fortress on the outside it seems very lootable (laughs) yeah it's full of old stuff (laughs) (laughs) and like super super old stuff because our our sages start poking around at stuff right and and wasn't some of the stuff like millennia old oh yeah oh yeah it was millennia expensive is what (laughs) they said (laughs) Yeah, and so you send your armsmen to begin, you know, exploring and securing it. Um, but they are nervy, you you might say. Useless. They're useless, as always. We don't hire the best. So, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they're the ones who survived must be pretty good because they're, they're your battle-hardened veterans. They've been on multiple campaigns. They also largely survived your uh, foray onto warp-infested ships, as it were. But what are they reporting, Ishan? Stuff that's impossible. Footsteps echoing down the halls, but there's no one there. A faint wailing, they can't figure out the source. Uh, multiple incidents of las guns that were fired at friendlies unexpectedly. Well, no one intentionally fired their las guns. <laughs> you know, you come around a corner, you run into a group that shouldn't be there, that you didn't hear coming, you accidentally shoot. Fortunately, no casualties, but you know, it's like, these are basic kind of functions of a scout operation of of exploring and securing and yet the men seem to be screwing it up a bit yeah no trigger discipline right so so yeah something spooky is going on here and of course that makes me think that there's some warpy bullshit happening Uh uh-huh because after a while it even begins to affect us and trank specifically doesn't have a problem with normal mundane scary but this is creeping him out Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I mean, it's not just limited to the men. Uh, even within the, the rogue trader cadre yourselves, uh, you kind of have some incidents, right? Yeah, Flair and Jago nearly get lost chasing uh, some sort of shadow that's appearing in the dim light 
uh, emanating from chem lamps on the wall sconces in the in the building. Yeah, so when you get in, there you find there are actually lights. Uh, they're just like old chem lights, like glow globes that are they they seem to be dying, right? They're sort of on their their last bit of chemical power because they're not really consistently lit. They're sort of fading in and out, uh, and that is is playing havoc with your imagination, as it were, uh, because Flair and Draco go chasing off into the depths of the house looking for this this shadow that they insist they saw. No discipline. And other things in here are completely mesmerizing. In fact, Trix takes a good long look at a very old, dusty portrait. And we'll find out what he sees next week. So this week, we are talking about fealty. Or, as we got a question when we pitched the topic, what is fealty? (laughs) Well, let's go to the dictionary. So, in the feudal sense of the word, fealty is the uh, oblig- the formal obligation of a vassal to his or her lord. Uh, so, it's sort of the, the two-way relationship of, you know, I pledge my uh, oath of allegiance to serve you, and in turn, you will uh, protect me as your vassal. Yes, the two-way relationship. In the feudal sense, uh, I will let you live on this land that I own because I own all the land. Yes. And you can grow stuff and then give me most of it. And hopefully there's enough for you to eat so you don't starve. Correct. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, it also works with, like, you know, a baron to a king, right? <laughs> like, I, I pledge my knights in your service, dear king, if you need them. But if my lands are invaded, you will use other people's knights to defend them. I'm going to build this castle and you're not going to assault it, yes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Notably, it shares the same Latin root with fidelity. So think faith is sort of a... a component of that right the the trust and and belief there you're basically married to your manor lord i mean it's prima nocta essentially uh yeah emotional prima nocta i don't don't know if i want to go that far but sure (laughs) okay just in russia it was you have the right to get mine first (laughs) okay so that's the real world what does it mean in an rpg setting though well i mean totally dependent on setting but it could be literal fealty right um RPGs are full of kings and dukes and barons and local lords and, you know, those types of power figures and and feudal power structures. But it could be a stand-in for any sort of formal obligation of service or debt that a character has. Yeah, you've got settings where there are literal literal gods. So you owe fealty to that church. Uh, Or if you're a monk, a monastery. It could be any kind of knightly order. Druids have their groves. Yeah, and and then you've also got things like guilds or companies or military um, groups, right, that, that you could have a, a similar type of obligation to. Certain races in some settings might have a similar thing, right, like elves to their, their communities or dwarves to their clan. Um, yeah, a drow trying to get out, of the, out from under the thumb of Lolth. Right. And... You know, even if this isn't occurring in the middle of your game, many of these things are often heavily incorporated into characters' backstories. Right. You know, what were you doing before you were an adventurer? Well, I was, you know, raised by the Thieves' Guild. Right. Or why are you adventuring? Well, I work for an adventuring company. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> right. How did I get to be a good fighter? I was in the army. Right. In fact, I'm still in the army, technically. We're just not at war. Right. And And the point here is, a character's fealty can be called upon or tested basically at any time, right? Um, it is it is a thing that happens uh, at the least opportune moment or at the most opportune moment in order to, you know, resolve some 
a question for a character. Uh, and this works great in novels and film uh, and TV, but it can get very complicated at a gaming table. Um, are you telling me this is not a novel? We're not playing out my novel? Can't play your novel. Sorry, Ishan. Uh... Still not going to do it. I don't care how many play-by-posts you write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy to peel the focus away uh, to one single character when you're in other kinds of media because, you know, fortunately, the characters that are not in this chapter of this book kind of just hang out waiting for you to come to a new chapter that they're in. Right. But that doesn't work so well for RPGs because you've got, like, the usual don't split the party reasons. So the GM has to, like, juggle multiple narratives. Uh, Some players will become spectators while others are playing through their piece of the narrative. And then it also, you know, splitting the party limits the tools that are available to the GM to shape the narrative. So things like combat encounters become very difficult to manage. And, and you know, even uh, worse, if you split off like one character and the rest of the party, it's basically impossible to throw a combat encounter at a single character. Yeah. And even if you're in a situation where you're sort of rotating through all of this, then you're playing a game where everyone is uh, bored three out of every four sessions. Right, right. Okay, so if you are playing in a game where uh, you have uh, PCs who do have obligations outside of the party, what are some ways that you can incorporate that, use it, and play with it? Well, you mentioned that if you spend time taking turns, you end up only being the focus one out of every three sessions. What if we just had a session where that was our focus, was getting all that stuff out of the way? Like a a downtime session, for example. (laughs) Montage! Yeah, so downtime activities are already usually sort of pre-planned times to split the party. And everyone kind of signs up for it because they got their own personal bookkeeping to take care of. Um, So that can be a great time to handle fealty and obligation. This happens naturally. When you get back to town, someone inevitably wants to go sell the loot. Someone else wants to buy new loot. Someone else is going to check in at the church. Yep. Somebody's probably got to put in a shift at the uh, at the smeltery or, or something like that. And someone probably needs to spend three weeks in the hospital. So That's me. <laughs> so this is an opportunity to let uh, each character personalize their time, uh, the downtime that they're spending, at a point in the game where everyone is already expecting that there's going to be a trade-off in, pers- in participation. You know, if you're in the hospital, probably you're not going to be rolling all that many checks, except maybe those con checks. Yeah, but but even so, if you're, you know, in the hospital and recovering, you might have um, your local uh, guild boss come and check in on you, right? Say thank you, uh, or, or maybe ask what happened or, or see what's going on, or right? Ber- like, or berate you. Or, or, yeah, yell at you for getting hurt. <laughs> what an idiot. You know, you're our property. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be more careful with the merchandise. Right. So one thing to keep in mind, usually these types of downtime activities have less mechanical support than sort of your normal adventuring narrative mechanics. Um, and, and even if they do, you know, even if you look at the downtime activities, say in like Xanathar's Guide for D&D, um, they definitely have less weight, even if they don't have, even if they do have some mechanical support. Yeah, it's kind of a blessing actually not to have a ton of mechanics around this because if you do look at some of the charts in Xanathar's for downtime, it's like a 10% chance to roll a complication on any downtime activity. And then some of those are just so difficult to fit into a narrative and you're totally going to get dragged off in a random direction, you know? Right. I'm trying to like create uh, an object for the guild 
uh, while someone else is, is recuperating because, you know, I'm trying to pay my dues over here. Uh, and then there's a 10% chance that, like, a rival is stealing all my tools and then we have to, like, go chase them down be- yeah. because they're, like, an incorporated NPC. And- yeah, so you don't want to let that distract from the overarching plot that you're weaving together with the party as the heroes, right? Um, or at least as the focus. You, If you keep adding multiple new complications through... Um, fealty or just random events you're, you're going to end up kind of losing the thread of the game yeah and if everyone's got fealty or obligations then even just pressing on those every once in a while for each person means that you're basically running a game where it's all dealing with those obligations yeah which is definitely a kind of game you can play um, but it's not the typical game yeah and I think in that case you don't want to confine it to downtime you want to bring that front and center right so speaking of doing that a really easy way to uh, rope the entire party into one character's obligation is to have the target of their fealty give them a quest. Give everybody a quest. Here they've got that big exclamation point over their head. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I know, I know them. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, hey, you know, uh, we own a lot of interest in the mines up there, and we haven't been getting the ore that we were expecting. Can you go check that out? And also, I'll pay your friends if they go with you. Yeah, and then you've already got one person who is more than likely going to pick up on this plot hook, can help convince everyone else as well. And, you know, if they are tied to this person, then great, everyone's moving along. And you didn't need to make up a, a random reason that they might actually, like, go to Alm. Right, right. At this time of year, it's, it's sweltering. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and the, the trick here as a GM is just to make sure that um, the quests or, or missions or or plot hooks that your fealty is providing to a character aligns with the other players goals or at least isn't like a direct conflict right just just make sure they they can go along with it without really straining their credibility right if the rogues thieves guild is showing up and saying hey we've got a job for you if there's a paladin in the party probably an assassination job isn't going to go over too well right but maybe a B and E to find evidence on an obvious law lawbreaker, or you know, uh, raiding, uh, getting information to raid uh, slaveholders is something the paladin would totally get behind. Right. Or I mean, you know, it's a, it's about presenting the context to get the paladin on board. Like, yeah, go assassinate the butcher. <laughs> like his name is the butcher. He's not really working with animals. That's not an assassination. <laughs> that's a that's a, a delivery of righteous justice. <laughs> he's he's not a political leader. Okay, it, it doesn't count. <laughs> Good point. Well, he could be. He could be like a, a crime boss. <laughs> Don't tell me about my butcher. <laughs> and then I, I think the other part of it is, um, you know, the the greater the relevance to the broader plot, right? The more critical it will become to the party. So they will be inclined to not resist that oath and fealty if it seems to align with what they want to do anyway. On the other hand, if it doesn't really advance the plot, then just make it a quick distraction. You know, um, it's something that they have to deal with in order to get to the thing that they're actually focused on. Um, it doesn't even need to take up an entire session. Yeah. Like if, if you're looking at fealty as sort of, or if you're looking at this as sort of a cost of doing business, right? Like this is, this is paying the piper for the benefits of fealty, then you want to keep that moving forward relatively quickly. Um, and then ideally, if you're going to spend a session on it, um, make sure that ends up tying in to what the players 
really wanted to be doing anyway. You know, like they gain some piece of information that doesn't seem relevant, but turns out had they not had it, they wouldn't be able to succeed, um, you know, in a few sessions. Mm -hmm. It even could be that this doesn't advance the plot, but what the characters are getting out of it is stuff. Yeah. When you are tied to a church uh, with money, it's getting ties. When you're tied to a thieves guild, when you're beholden to a king, you're working for the crown, that offers opportunities uh, to leverage more might than an average party is going to have mm-hmm. so it it's nice when you know if you've spent an entire session sort of uh paying your dues to this organization uh that later that comes into play um you know you've proven yourself in the past to be a loyal uh subject so of course here we're going to g- grant you weapons and armor please step into my office <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, you're coming to us with a, a job of your own. You'd like some help. Uh, this isn't going to benefit the organization per se, but you are, of course, a loyal member. Right. So if you are trying to break into this warehouse over here, maybe we already have the codes. Yeah. And likewise, you know, a lot of times the value of pledging allegiance to somebody is the difference in power, right? They they can move in different circles than you can as an individual, so they might have political sway. So just a, a few words from your lord might provide you fame or infamy. It might give you access to something or exclude you from something that, that could be important. Um, you know, that, that sort of, you know, the casual conversation that gets had in the upper echelons of society is not something that the Cooper son is going to be able to access, but by pledging allegiance to a lord who does have access can still sort of get done what needs to be done. Yeah, it's a nice opportunity to give your players a taste of power that you wouldn't necessarily want a PC to have at a particular time in the game. You know, if they're still relatively early levels, you don't want them to be able to be taking on diplomatic missions with other countries, but they might be asked to partake in one. Yeah, they, they might know that they're going to have to cross a, a national border that could cause, you know, a violation of a peace treaty. Before they do that, they might say, wait, I know a guy in the government. Let me see if he can get a special access. I do need bodyguards for my uh, ambassador anyway. Right. And I know I can trust you. Right. Also, it pays well. <laughs> of course. And then the, the proper way for that to work is, is, of course, while you're over there, I need you to conduct this black op. <laughs> like, like, yes, I will get you in, but I need you to get something for me when you're there. <laughs> I have two sets of uniforms for you. One, uh, tabard and halberd. Right. <laughs> which you're going to have to learn to use. And then skin suit. Right. <laughs> with chameleon cloth. <laughs> Um, also, don't forget about reputation. Um, any any type of title or um, icon that a lord can provide can be very useful. And, and we run into this in Rogue Trader and Dark Heresy with uh, the Inquisition, for example. Having a, an, an Imperial Inquisition rosette basically gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want. So if you're an agent of the Inquisition, you get a lot of leeway that you might not otherwise have. Yeah, this is a nice uh, way to have a... a- push and pull with the party uh, because you know being able to leverage that reputation opens many doors but if the party begins to depend on it then the organization finds out and and they expect more from them yes right? or maybe they disagree with a few of their actions right so you know you've been sullying our reputation yeah you you end up being uh joe pesci in uh in goodfellas right like you become a made man just long enough to get buried in, in the backyard. Yeah. It doesn't pay to be a liability. Right. 
and and as a tool for um, pacing and and driving your narrative, it's great to use these resources to explain away boring legwork, right? Like you can just give things to the players that they don't have to go through the trouble of rolling dice or or putting time into discovering, right? So things like you know our spy network in Karnath has reported such and such or you know we have a man on the inside of house caneth and he says that this is going down in the in the leadership of the house yeah this is why james bond movies work so well he shows up and he's handed a briefcase with all of the information exactly and then he goes to visit q who's like well i've done all this research on my downtime yeah (laughs) (laughs) here's some cool stuff because you're an agent of mi6 exactly like your benefit is you don't have to go do boring surveillance work. You just go walk in and punch people or, you know, shoot them with the Walther PPK. Your choice. They're also all going to be trying to kill you. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the <laughs> that's cost. <laughs> <laughs> so if your party is throwing around all of this influence uh, and weight uh, because they have an organization behind them, it's quite likely that other people people are going to get in the way, whether intentionally or not. Yeah, if they're doing all of these quests, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone in the town loves the fact that you cleared the mines of kobolds. Now the miners can get back to work. But what if that's bad for your boss? You know, maybe maybe you work for an adventuring company that owns mining interests in a neighboring region. Well, you've done good by the people you're near, but you've kind of screwed over your own organization, right? You may not have even known that this is what you were doing, right? You're just you're taking a quest that was offered to you. Exactly. And, and then the flip side of that, right, it might be an unexpected benefit. Like, it might turn out that by clearing the mines of kobolds, we've now got ore flowing consistently to the south, and it's going into the Adventuring Guild smelteries to build more weapons. How to do you sell. even know? It's better not to do anything. Don't touch anything. Well, the key is... Always touch things, and as the GM, make them make them more interesting. <laughs> Wreck everything and let the GM sort it out. <laughs> but the the question then becomes like, how does a lord respond when her vassal is either showing loyalty or disloyalty? Right, like when you do a great thing for your lord, even unintended, uh, how are you rewarded? How are you recognized? And likewise, when you accidentally screw your lord over. How does she deal with you? Yeah, does it matter that you did or did not know? Do they care? Or is it uh, the results? Right. <laughs> so are you? Are, is the party getting praised for this? Are, are they getting some sort of monetary reward? Uh, magic items? Uh, gifts of land, perhaps? Or are you being punished, right? Could you, could you face the threat of being disowned by your lord? Could, could you lose fealty? And are the characters even necessarily finding out how they're being helped or punished by the organization? Yeah, I love the idea that your punishment is we gave you bad information and you walked into a trap (laughs) because we don't like you anymore and we need you to be gotten. We got to take Shiv and Bones off the board. They're they're loose agents of the Inquisition. (laughs) We made a deal with a rival gang and you guys are the offering. Right. (laughs) Of course, it could just be that because you're beholden to people more powerful than you, you are used as a pawn in a larger game. Maybe they are sending you after other pawns being run by other liege lords. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a great way to create a natural rivalry, right? Like 
cool. Like this guy we ran into happens to be the vassal of a rival lord. So we're automatically on the opposite team. <laughs> we want to screw him over, even if we can't necessarily openly conflict, right? Yeah, it's kind of a n- nice, tidy, easy plot hook. How do we know that we don't trust this person? Oh, it's because they're on the different team. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was easy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I can never trust him. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a different company. I won't tell you. His non-lethal game wears a different color than the players of a game that I support in my hometown. Yeah, I, I feel like in fantasy settings, it's just called, like, ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever head of random monstrous humanoid. Orc ball, right? because we caught an orc. <laughs> it's perhaps even more fun if this new rival is a vassal of your lord as well, and you are competing. That's basically the plot of the Darth Vader comic book. Uh, like it's Vader competing for the Emperor's love, and it is fantastic. <laughs> um, that does a good job of preventing like open war uh, between like two vassals, right? The idea that you can't just outright kill that person because then your lord would be disappointed in you, but you can make them look increasingly bad to the point where you know, they're dishonored or disowned. Or if you're playing a drow game, your lord would be very happy that you murdered someone, but you can't get caught because that's sloppy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You get points for execution, but you lose points on the uh, the style. Yeah, but I still need to know that you did it. Right. So you need to work on this. (laughs) Lothair don't care. (laughs) So there's a lot of things in motion when you're dealing with fealty. You know, um, each different character and the people that they're beholden to, uh, your different rivals, um, unintended consequences. How do you go about balancing the costs and benefits for the party? Because obviously the only reason they really have these connections is in the, you know, in the fiction of the game is because they got something out of it. Yeah, yeah. That's what we said at the top, right? It is a two-way street. The whole point of of pledging allegiance to somebody is that they're giving you something in return, right? And the whole reason you accept it is because whatever that pledge or that guarantee is worth to you uh, is greater than what you have to offer to get it. Yeah, like I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and it gives me the power to control eagles. (laughs) Yes. With my mind. That's Wow, you got a much better role on that table than I did. (laughs) I think you just got drafted. No, I just got a hat <laughs> with a flag on it. It said Murica. It's very red. <laughs> it's disconcerting. Uh, yeah, so keep in mind, right, like the complications that are introduced by fealty are one of the forms of cost. But it's also possible that there's just sort of a steady ongoing cost of that fealty that um, never really drives a narrative but is still sitting kind of in the background so things like a code of conduct for a monk or a paladin would be you know kind of always on cost that is never going to require the monastery to come running up to the monk and say hey we're under attack we need your help come drop everything and save us right Um, just living that ascetic lifestyle or, or adhering to that code of conduct is a sufficient payment to the monastery yeah i mean i can't ever murder children yeah <laughs> like like what, never what about british children <laughs> <laughs> what about on tuesdays right what about in a different area code <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> what if I'm in Vegas? You're not cheating on your code of conduct if you're in Barricades. <laughs> I mean, that's just... What if you record it and then send a videotape it, tape of it to your monastery? What if you do it for the Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> Um, other things for like separate from code of conduct, you might have like a tithe or you might have a VIG that you have to pay, um, you know, for <laughs> more holy and less holy organizations as it were. Um, you know, so, so not every Lord has to make an unreasonable demand. Um, but there should be some, some reminder that you're paying for this, right? That whatever you get has been paid for. Yeah. And maybe that payment is only really in the game itself, the story of the game, right? So, you know, if you are a soldier in an army, maybe you are never called up for service in a game because, you know, that it's sort of difficult to run with right. like one person is getting redrafted. Right. Um, but it's quite possible that, you know, maybe that character has decided that they're dealing with PTSD issues from having fought in that war. Right. Or the recognition of them having been a soldier of that army mm. might cause complications with a particular NPC, right? And, and likewise could give you unexpected benefits, right? Uh, yeah, you you know, that army marched through and rescued us, so I, I am forever appreciative of its soldiers. D-Day veterans in France. Yeah. You get, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. You get lots of kisses. <laughs> so another thing to kind of keep in mind is that in a lot of ways, fealty is driven by proximity. Um, you know, if you're out of reach of whatever you've sworn fealty to, in effect, like the obligation isn't existent for you anymore, right? Like if you're beyond what can be controlled, then you're, you're not being controlled by it. Right. So you might not be physically around it, but it is still, at least to the character ever present. It, it could quite possibly be the entire motivation that they're out in the world at all. Right. Um, likewise, if, if you view fealty as more of a debt, um, that, that distance, um, either narrative or physical, right. Could be sort of the release, right. You, you always want to be as far from the empire as you can be so that you don't get called into service by the empire. Yeah. It's just too complicated that way. Right. (laughs) Or, or likewise, you always want to be as far from the crime Lord that you owe a bunch of credits to because you don't want to pay back those credits or end up in carbonite. (laughs) It's much more expensive for him to send Boba Fett all the way over here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And speaking of star Wars, the FFG star Wars line has the duty and obligation mechanics that kind of mirror this pretty well, that, that relationship of fealty. Um, it's that's a good source for inspiration if you have the books. I, I don't know that I would run out and pick them up just for this. But it is it is essentially duty and or obligation, depending, right? Obligation is where we're indebted, uh, usually like monetarily in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and duty is, you know, we are beholden to some sort of a higher ideal and organization. But each character has uh, an actual like codified score of how much their obligation is to that organization and then the party you know adds that all up and then has like a party obligation or death score and then each session uh, the GM is making a role uh, a percentile role and if it is under the total obligation of the party then that comes into play sometime during that session it doesn't have to be the main focus of the session it just means that at some point during the session someone in uh, the party is going to get 
hooked somehow. Yeah. And it, do- it doesn't have to be resolved in that session. It, it could, you know, um, spin out much later. Um, but it, it is a mechanical way uh, to a- express the fact that there are always these pressures weighing down the party. Yeah. And, and I like that specific mechanic um, because it gives you that sense of, you know, you can kind of be operating outside of the sphere of influence um, for for a while and and think you're you know free and clear until it rears its ugly head again right unexpectedly you wind up back in the sphere of influence and you know now the chickens are coming home to roost Mm -hmm. i also like that there's a built-in mechanic for characters feeling like they're getting pulled back in because with the obligation mechanic you can actually choose to take on more obligation and get more money right <laughs> and you can choose to take on more duty and get more supplies because you are you know higher in the organization right so i think for me the most important part of introducing fealty into um an rpg and and any rpg is that it really serves to enrich and enliven the game world um it, it turns what could be one note kind of two-dimensional characters into more nuanced and more um, developed characters. Yeah, I like that this is something that can be used for any kind of character. Like, even a chaotic neutral murder hobo can uh, have a problem if their family has decided that they are getting uh, called back to the homestead. Right. It's it's your time, Junior. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe not a literal hobo. I mean, they had to track him down. That's why they got Boba Fett. Okay. All right. Bring him back in pieces. <laughs> uh, and then also remember, you know, the RPG as a medium is about a group success, right? Um, it's it's about a group narrative. So uh, always be tying individual fealty into the group story, not splintering the group story, um, you know, kind of carving certain PCs out of it. Yeah, over time it could even be that the all the members eventually owe fealty to the same organization or group. Or maybe they even start out that way. Yeah. Like our Dark Sun game where we're all playing part of a military company. Mercenary company. Yeah. We have more diverse interests than just military. Yeah, but we're about to resurrect our old dead city. Well, we're on the run. Then we'll be the city guard. We're on the run. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're, we're a professional retreating company right now. The dragon is coming. <laughs> we need to leave. And I think we'll get into this in another episode, but remember that eventually these roles can be reversed. At higher levels, the PCs can have vassals of their own. It's actually one of the you know cool rewards that a lot of people are building to. You know, if you start out as a rogue at the bottom of the pyramid in the thieves guild, eventually maybe you uh, topple the leader and become head of the thieves guild. Or um, it actually used to be built into D anD D that like in order to advance higher than like level nine as a druid, you had to defeat other druids in order to get higher in the circle yeah and the only way to become a 20th level monk was to defeat the grandmaster of flowers right (laughs) and there was only one 20th level monk in the entire world at at any one time (laughs) um that was uh that was a big part of what brand's arc was in the morning glory campaign was sort of rising in power within the church of the silver flame as well yeah, and it's kind of nice how um, it becomes this game of uh, showing and not telling of the rules and the mechanics, where if the players have you know uh, moved up through the ranks, understanding how 
their superiors have leveraged obligations on them in order to have them do things, it becomes much simpler for them to go, oh, you know what? I think I know how we can leverage the obligation of our juniors now, now that we're actually in control. Right. And then always remember that it's a two-way street. So those juniors can come and create complications just as easily for uh, the PCs who are lords uh, as the PCs could have created complications for their bosses. Oh, yeah. Probably they learned. Right? I learned it by watching you. Right, exactly. <laughs> as we're learning in Birthright, you know, we're getting all this money from uh, tithes and, uh, you know, guilds and taxes. Oh, tuition in my book. Ah, Okay. However, sometimes there's a big earthquake right. <laughs> or enemies attack or monsters come out of the hills. And now we've got to go deal with that because otherwise the peasants revolt. Right. <laughs> Stupid peasants. That's why we should educate them. Don't they have? No, definitely not. We're not educating peasants. <laughs> a literate army is not a winning army. <laughs> Arrows cost money. We're, Dead men cost nothing. We're we feeding them into the great Tuornan war machine. <laughs> we just need to mind control the Orogs somehow. Mm. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Yeah, I think that's the sound of sharpening pitchforks. Oh, they've learned to read. <laughs> Quick fireballs. They still have thatched roof cottages. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Beast of Burden. Uh, This is one of those things that we do sometimes where we get a dumb idea and we decide to see how far we can take it and what we can do with it. Yeah, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards will never use this character. You sure? Uh, I feel like we convinced Keith Richards. Maybe, I know. He'll, maybe. Never, he'll never be your beast of burden. <laughs> what if we burn the character sheet and then sprinkle the ashes into his cocaine? Never, 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 never gonna be your beast of burden. One of these days we should have a karaoke session. No, we can't do that because I don't want to get sued by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> All right, so this time we decided we were going to try to figure out a way to weaponize carrying capacity. Because why not? Yeah, yeah, because it's been a while since we (laughs) broke the rules. (laughs) Did something dumb. I don't know that this breaks the rules. I don't think it breaks the rules. Well, it finds a weakness in the rules Uh, and exploits them. Perhaps it does that, yeah. All right, so the builds. Totem Barbarian 6, College of Whispers Bard 5. Battlemaster Fighter 3, whatever the hell you want, 6. Okay. And for race, we're going to take something big in carrying capacity. Like, so Goliath is great. That that gets a bonus to carrying capacity. Bugbear, bonus to carrying capacity. Furbolg, bonus to carrying capacity. (laughs) Orc, bonus to carrying capacity. Yeah, they've all got powerful builds, which treats them as one size larger when determining their carrying capacity. Now, let's just do a little bit of the math here. Um, We're eventually going to have 20 strength. I am disappointed at the way that 
carrying capacity is calculated in 5e because it's just 15 times your strength score like which means that a strength 20 character can only like it's 300 pounds which is only double what someone with strength 10 can carry yeah but i mean you say that as somebody who's never carried 300 pounds (laughs) and tried to fight (laughs) like 300 pounds is really heavy man (laughs) not if you're goliath i mean no, <laughs> even for a Goliath, <laughs> 300 pounds is like a lot to move your center of gravity. <laughs> All right. But if you are a Goliath, you can actually go to 600 pounds. Good point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you are a uh, bear totem barbarian at level six, you can go to 1,200 pounds. Uh-huh. And if you can somehow cast the enhance ability spell on yourself, just like a third level bard can, you can go to 2,400 so 2,400 pounds is, uh, what, 1.2 tons? It's a cow in each hand. That's what it is. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> there's no... Uh, okay, because if you're, if you're medium-sized, right, then you can grapple and then technically should be able to lift whatever you can grapple with one hand, and you can grapple a large creature with right. one hand. Yep. Cow in each arm, baby. <laughs> okay. But what the hell do we do with that? <laughs> All right. So... Yeah, why don't we why don't we take those two cows and explain how we're going to use them, and then we can get into the build itself. Perfect. Okay, so if you take a look at the Tavern Brawler feat, which is mostly garbage, it gives you proficiency with improvised weapons. Now, improvised weapons can be many different things. The uh, PHB says it could be a table leg. Uh, it could even be a dead goblin, for example. So there is... A... No, no reason it couldn't be a living cow. There's I, a precedent. I, I, yeah, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. <laughs> It also lets you grapple as a bonus action after making an unarmed attack or an attack with an improvised weapon. And here's the other thing. Improvised weapons uh, have a thrown range of 20 feet, 60 feet with disadvantage. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so let's walk through the build. Yeah? Uh, Please. Okay. (laughs) After you. (laughs) Barbarian obviously gives us extra attack. A rage damage bonus, which we'll also get when we are attacking with improvised people. Uh, Some rage resistance and doubles that carrying capacity. Then from Bard, we will take expertise in, uh, obviously, athletics. Because, you know, you want to have good form on that deadlift of a dead cow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think javelins are tough, but cows. Right. Uh, And then I think intimidation works pretty well here, too. You get level three spell, so the enhance ability spell when you can use the bull strength variant, which doubles your carrying capacity and gives you advantage on strength checks, like, for example, athletics, if that ends up being called for. You can get the same kind of thing from the enlarge spell, but that only lasts a minute. Enhance ability lasts an hour, which means you can precast it before combat. You'll get some uh, bardic inspirations that will refresh on a short rest. And College of Whispers gets you this cool thing called Psychic Blades, which when you hit with a weapon attack, you can expend a Bardic Inspiration die to deal psychic damage, which I think makes sense when you're hitting someone with a cow. With a cow, yeah. (laughs) Or their dead friend. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're hitting a Minotaur with a Minotaur. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Psychic Lord of Blades. <laughs> I've, I've hit an army with the Lord of Blades. <laughs> he's he's only large. Right. You can pick him up. Uh, he might weigh too much. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. All right. So from Fighter, we'll get Action Surge and a Fighting Style. Which, which could be dueling. Could be dueling. 
<laughs> could have a cow in each hand. Um, and then, oh no, sorry. That's two what, weapon, <laughs> it could be two weapon fighting. <laughs> cow in each hand. Uh, and you'll get battle master maneuvers. Like, for example, a trip attack with your cow. I like disarming attack. <laughs> <laughs> I knock it out of his hand with a hoof. Right. <laughs> and, you know, other things like menacing attack. I think lunging attack also makes sense. You should have reach with a cow. A little bit more, yeah. 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 Um, so think of it this way. You are a, a brave and mighty Goliath barbarian facing uh, an armored knight. And so you run up to his horse. Pick up his horse. <laughs> first, first you punch his horse in the face. <laughs> right. Which gives you a bonus action grapple. <laughs> right. So you grapple the horse, and then with your second attack, you hit the knight with his horse. <laughs> with his own horse. And then, of course, you could action surge if you want and do it a couple more times. But what I prefer to do, actually, is to throw the horse. Right. With the knight still riding. Sure. Or, or actually, throw the horse straight up and have it land on the knight. Okay. All who, right. Since you have uh, pulled his horse literally out from under him, I think probably has fallen on his ass. Yeah, probably has disadvantage. <laughs> probably needs to make a saving throw That's at least. That's true. But yeah. I think this horse is taking 66 falling damage. Because you throw 60 feet in the air. Now, if for some reason your GM is like, uh, I don't think you can throw it 60 feet straight in the air. That's that's fine. I think that's reasonable, right? Yeah. But you can throw it 60 feet across. Right. <laughs> and the way that D&D sort of like calculates heights is everything seems to be like parabolic. Like, uh, height is half of distance, and that's how long jumps work. So I think if you're throwing a horse 60 feet, it means it's getting 30 feet vertical. Okay. So I don't really care where the horse lands, and I don't care if it hits anything. It's taking 3d6 falling damage when it gets there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Oh, good lord. All right, and then you have six more levels to play with, mind you. So you can really double down on any of these ridiculous aspects. (laughs) Oh, yeah, do what you want. I mean, I think more bard and just sing about it. Sing while you do this, because you're a crazy person. Well, that brings us to our uh, the next question then, Ishan, is who is your beast of burden? My beast of burden is a Goliath who has always wanted to test herself against the greatest warriors of other nations. And so she has come down out of the mountains after spending years perfecting her form in the uh, half-giant national pastime of rock throwing. Okay. But it turns out that when you come down into the valleys and into the jungles and the deserts, there are far fewer rocks. (laughs) Okay. So so she needs to figure out what else she's going to throw. Well, there's, uh, I guess there's Earth Genasi. (laughs) (laughs) She'll get a few elemental gems, maybe learn how to summon uh, elementals, throw them around. Gargoyles? Gargoyles are pretty good. Okay. Um, And so has uh, developed a unique fighting style where instead of carrying around large boulders, which I don't know if you know this, they don't return once you throw them. Correct. Um, although I think there's still a 50% chance that they'll be intact and you can... You, you can, can throw them again, yeah. You can, yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. recover your ammunition. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But if it breaks, it's really hard to replace. Right. Um, although I guess there's no limit on bullet size, technically. 
You can just sit there and shine bullets. Okay. All right. I would like 20 boulders for uh, one silver piece, please. <laughs> really, really large bullets. <laughs> uh, she has determined that she really just needs to make do with whatever's at hand, literally, which is usually the necks of her enemies. Okay. Perfect. And sometimes it's just more fun, right? You can just smash their faces into the ground repeatedly. That works just fine. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't give her the the joy of watching that throw with a perfect spiral that you can get when you see, you know, four hoofed legs spinning in the air. So for her, it's really about the beauty of the athletic feat here, not necessarily about the thrill of combat. Yeah, and I think eventually when she's gathered enough gold, she'll make sure that the IOC uh, admits everything throwing into the Olympics. Right. Um, light on the drug testing, though. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> okay, good. All right. What about your beast of burden? So this made me think of a character from the uh, from Dan Abnett's Gaunt's Ghosts series. Okay. Uh, so a, a Warhammer 40k Imperial Guardsman uh, by the name of Try Again Bragg. Uh, he's the biggest guy in the regiment you know he's he's absurdly strong and tall uh he's the type of character who rips the heavy weapons off of vehicles and wields an assault cannon by himself oh, those, those are his, my favorites with his bare hands uh and of course he is named try again brag because his aim is highly suspect <laughs> <laughs> so often he shoots a rocket and then gets instructed to try again um, almost as if he has disadvantage on the ranged attack almost <laughs> almost yeah <laughs> So, uh, Ishan, for your consideration, I submit mm-hmm. to you the fighter version of this build. Ah. <laughs> doubling down on Battlemaster, uh, but indeed dealing with disadvantage for throwing uh, over 20 yards, or over 20 feet. But uh, this would be uh, Try Again for Bulg. That's adorable. Uh, yeah, so... Um, you know, a member of the military, probably an unlikely or uncommon member for a Ferbolg to uh, join a, a human military, but uh, still there, um, you know, perfectly lovable, um, kind of charismatic uh, heart and soul of the regiment sort of soldier uh, with, a, with a very odd build uh, that is utilized to very odd ends. But uh, sort of the guy who, if he is behind you, you know he has your back. And, you know, is is liable to pick something up and throw it over your head and into whatever is attacking you. Hopefully not you. Hopefully a knight, though, (laughs) ideally. (laughs) All right. Uh, That absurdity being done, uh, before we wrap up, we do want to take a moment and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And until last week, every single Thursday. Okay, all right, don't rub it in. (laughs) You screw up one episode. (laughs) You can screw up one every 135 episodes, okay? All right, fine, I use my one. (laughs) So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Uh, on patreon.com slash totalpartythrill, you can find a link to the Character Creation Forge Codex, which contains... Every single Character Creation Forge build, uh, this was unlocked by our patrons at the $200 level. So uh, thank you for uh, allowing us to create that. And coming up soon, I hope, at the $300 level, we are going to be reviewing the Forgotten Realms for you. I mean, certainly not for us. 
not not for our benefit anyway because <laughs> <laughs> then we'll, oh, we'll have to like read a bunch about it yeah yeah i'm really looking forward to that how many elminster books are there i don't know hundreds? too many yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so what do we have planned for next week's episode we're talking about playing with large parties oh this is gonna be a short episode don't <laughs> <laughs> never never do that that's all of our episodes yeah <laughs> oh yeah don't do that fealty dumb dumb <laughs> all right uh what about the character creation forge we're building dance with the devil well that's it for episode 136 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening